Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Good evening and welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here to recap. Uh, do we want to call it frantic, hectic, chaotic, enjoyable, all of the above, none of the above. Anyways, we had a race weekend at the Austrian Grand Prix. Hammy, how the heck are you? Let's get into this right away. You know what? Let's just. So we've had feedback recently about dispensing with the formalities on a Grand Prix weekend. Let's do exactly that. <laughs> and I'm pumped up to talk about it. And the worst yep. part was maybe it was actually the best thing. But I wanted to jump on the show first thing this morning and record right after it was over. And yep. we've had we've had we've had uh, recommendations and best practices from Tim Haraney in the past that. That can be a risky move that if you jump on and record and post right after and there's a development after the race, you're, you've kind of blown it. And by chance, you and I decided to record a little bit later and it couldn't have worked out better based on what happened like five, six, seven hours <laughs> oh, man, after, right? after the yeah. Grand Prix. So yep. to summarize in a kind of a real nutshell... This weekend for me and my friend, and we'll get into all the details, but I think this weekend was very sobering. And when I say it was sobering, I specifically mean just with respect to Red Bull that you and I have been kind of pulling on all these threads recently about, hey, Aston Martin's upgrades have made a big difference and they're competing and Alonso scoring all these podiums. And it looks like Merck's cracked the code that was causing them all these challenges the last year and a half. And they're going to they're going to consistently compete for podiums. And then all of a sudden, Ferrari has this pace and they look really racy. And then we go into this Grand Prix and Red Bull, Max Verstappen, absolutely dominates. And I know that in the end, he won ahead of Charles Leclerc by just under five seconds. But the reality is it probably would have been closer to 30 seconds, if not for the fact that he pitted at the very end to put on some fresh tires and chase that fastest lap. But overall, I think my biggest mm -hmm. takeaway was Red Bull dominance absolutely continues. Max looks phenomenal. I saw a statistic today as well. Red Bulls won 20 of the last 21 Grand Prix. And of course, the only exception in there was George Russell's win at Brazil. And I also went back and counted uh, Mr. Mr. Max Verstappen's victory since 2021, since the beginning of the 2021 season. He's now won 32 Grand Prix in the last two and a half Grand Prix season. He has passed <laughs> oh, Ayrton Senna. Uh, he's sitting wow. at number 42. And he's just, I think there's a possibility that the next person in front of him is Alain Prost. And then, um, uh, of course, uh, his former teammate, I guess it would have been his teammate. I guess Sebastian Vettel would have been long gone by then. But Sebastian Vettel, and there's a possibility he catches both of those drivers. And then by the end of the season, we'll be sitting behind only Michael Schumacher and only Lewis. But that's my biggest takeaway. But that's not the storyline coming out. But before we get to that, I'll kick it over to you. Your thoughts on a sprint race weekend. 
You know, I, I don't want to hate on Max because uh, I mean, what you he's can't, doing, you can't, you, you can't, no, because I want, I want to give the guy like his, his, like I want to give him the cred and give him the respect that he absolutely deserves. But I mean, we're gonna break down the whole weekend here. But if you look, if you just take Max out of the equation at, from first, and you look down, you got Charles, you got Sergio, you got Lando, Fernando, Carlos Sainz, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Lance, and Pierre Gasly. I mean, that's kind of like a really mixed up kind of top ten. But the thing is, I mean, and, and you summarized it so. Nicely because Max is now past the great Ayrton Senna. He's soon going to pass, uh, you know, Seb Vettel. Then it's just Lewis and, and Michael Schumacher in front of him. And I, I think those are the two perfect people to, you know, to compare him to him at the moment. And I mean, because when they were on their their peak, and I, I don't want to suggest that Lewis has passed his peak because he hasn't had the car the last couple of seasons, right? Not since 21 when it was pretty much 50-50 between Lewis and Max. But what Max is doing right now is what we watched Lewis do in the teens, what we watched Michael Schumacher do in that era of Ferrari dominance in the early 2000s. I mean, He's not putting a wheel wrong. He's got the car. He's got the whole complete package. And that's what Lewis and Michael were doing for all those years as well. And it's just, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, I don't want to say it's unfortunate because it's unfortunate when you look at this. I guess in retrospect, because you'll just see Max swept the board this weekend, but there was a lot of good things that happened beside that. But there you see, you know, he got pole, he won the sprint race, he won the race, he set the fastest lap. I mean, he hit the grand slam and, and then some, but there were some good things beyond that as well. And and I just kind of feel like some of that's going to get you know, overlooked, right? Well, maybe maybe we kind of put a bow on the conversation about Red Bull. And I just, t- you just touched on something. You stole my thunder, but um, oh dear, sorry. just contextualize <laughs> what you're saying. Like this is yeah. a sprint weekend. He goes in, great performance in free practice one. And like all the other drivers on the grid, he had one practice session to dial in this track for his engineers and everyone back at the factory to dial in the settings for the car for the weekend. He goes into qualifying, scores a pole, Scores a pole in sprint qualifying, wins the sprint race, comes into the Grand Prix, wins the race, win or takes fastest lap. Like, I don't even know if this is a, like a triple header. This is like a quadruple header or like a sixplex header. He dominated the race weekend. <laughs> and and Andrew Benson and Julian Palmer were talking post-race about the fact that they can make significant mistakes and they don't. But they could make significant mistakes on track and with strategy or strategy and operationally, and it doesn't make a difference. So the perfect point of example is this. We had that virtual safety car early in the race. Mm-hmm. Everybody came in. Every, the Ferraris did eventually because the timing was bad and they just passed the pit lane entrance um, when the when the light went on, but they managed to come back in. They did the double stack. But ultimately, Red Bull's like, no, we're not gonna pit. We're we're gonna throw away the option of having a free stop because we have our strategy dialed in and we don't need to deviate. Like everyone else, their strategy deviated because there was this opportunity to come in for a free pit stop. Or Red Bull's like, no, we're just going to stick to our strategy. We don't need it. And they did it. And they absolutely dominated the race. And again, when we say they really, we mean Max Verstappen. And the other stat too, just before we kind of wrap up on Red Bull, I saw somebody post this on Reddit today, or maybe it was Twitter. Max Verstappen, if he was the only driver for Red Bull this year, Red Bull would still be leading the Constructors' Championship. He is leading mm. the Constructors' Championship himself, which is absolutely 
remarkable. So all the flowers in the world to this team. My friend, did you have anything else Red Bull-centric? I guess we should probably give <laughs> shout-out to Sir, um, Sergio Perez. Had his fastest lap in qualifying deleted. He was looking good, possibly going to land on the front row. Didn't. Started 15th. Managed to carve his way up to third. I, I don't know if he deserves a lot of... A, a lot of accolades for that, given that this is a no. track that's almost engineered for this car. But a 15th to third, his first podium since Miami. Yeah, but it, it, again, I think he should be a little bit disappointed with third. Totally I mean, agree. because, you, you totally know, with agree. all the deleted times and things like that, he should not have started where he started. I mean, th this should have been like a, a, a slam dunk one, two for Red Bull this weekend. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, what he did during the race to recover from where he started to get on the podium is, you know, an, an incredible feat. But like you say, the, the, the car is basically engineered for this track. This is Red Bull's backyard. I mean, they, they know this circuit in inside out but uh, you know still i mean after a pretty horrible month or two you know e even though he had his ups and downs during the weekend I, I think that if you're checo i think you're like okay i stumbled a little bit during the course of the weekend but i still got a podium let's just forget everything between the podium and everything happened the last six weeks or whatever and let's go to silverstone next week and 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 and, and just reset I, I think that's what you got to do if you're sergio perez I, I couldn't agree with you more. We hinted at the fact that, look, you know what? He's had a, raw, a long, really rough run here and that he had the opportunity with Austria and with Silverstone to rebuild some of that confidence. This is a step in that journey. He didn't win yes. the race. He didn't finish yep. P2. It's a step in the journey. He was on the podium. Hopefully that'll renew his confidence. You also made a really good point, though, about this being their backyard. Oh, my God. I don't know. Other than Ferrari, of course, with Imola and Monza, I don't know if there's another team on the grid that has such a home race race advantage as Red Bull. Like if you look at that packed crowd, the grandstands absolutely Monza, packed with or Monzo for sure. Monza Imola for sure. Um, for but Ferrari, aside yeah. from Italy, like just an ocean of orange in those orange flares everywhere. It definitely felt like it was a, a Red Bull home race for sure. So I, you know, for everybody that's living in the Pacific Northwest, you know, sorry for everybody else that isn't, but you know, I, I'm just going to give a little bit of context because when, when you see the amount of Dutch fans, and you know, me being half Dutch and having lived there, you know, we, you know, I've been to Austria a number of times, you know, for winter sport and skiing and things like that, but it's easily drivable. I would compare the drive from the Netherlands as to, you know, for us here in the Pacific Northwest, maybe from driving to Vancouver to Portland, you know, it's it's easily doable. It takes several hours and. Uh, you know, I'm 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 not exactly sure like how the what the exact timing is from say I do. You know, Central it's 12 Holland. Hours. I just looked is it, it twelve up. hours. Talking, okay, it's twelve hours from Zandvoort to the Red Bull Ring, which is doable, man. Like that's that's like you and me driving to Calgary. Like we do that. That's not crazy. Yeah. Actually, okay, that's that's a little bit further than I thought. But um, you know, we did go uh, once uh, when I was in, uh, in living in Holland. We did drive to to France to go uh, for skiing for a week, and that was kind of like a 10, 11 hour drive where you know we were taking you know shifts and stopping every you know hour to you know, a couple hours to, to change up drivers but like i say it's doable and you know if, especially if you're taking a bus or something like that you're on a package but i mean it, it lends for a great uh, atmosphere but you know one thing that uh, I, I think we should just uh, kind of like you know go back and just reset before we go and talk about other things or not reset but just i, I think it bears mentioning is not only did max do all those phenomenal things this weekend he you know, he's making the call on the radio that he wants to come in the pit walls coming back to say him you know it's a little bit risky we don't really need to go and do this but he's like i want to go and do this he goes into the pits they nail the pit stop so i mean 
you know, not only was Max perfect in the car, not only were the calls from the pit wall on point all weekend, when it came down to an unnecessary and slightly risky pit stop at, you know, like lap 70 or 69 or whatever it was, he went in there and they gave him a sub two and a half second stop. I think it was like 2.3 seconds off the top of my head. I mean, they nailed the pit stop, but I mean, he had that uh, pit stop in, in his back pocket, plus then some to Charles Leclerc. But it was just, I mean... To say that this team is all on the same page at the moment is just, it, it's an understatement of vast proportions. I mean, that's just how totally. good they are. You're a right? couple of other Max Verstappen related statistics that I brought up and I'd forgotten to mention. Um, Max Verstappen's streak of consecutively led laps has concluded at 249. So he led yep. 10 at Miami, 78 at Monaco, 66 at the Spanish Grand Prix, 70 laps at the Canadian Grand Prix, and 25 at the Austrian Grand Prix. The only two drivers ahead of him, Senna ha- led 264 consecutive laps, hmm. and Alberto Ascari led 305 wow. consecutive laps. So wow. that was within his grasp, and the reality is there's probably going to be another shot at it. And the other stat, and this is from Tennis4TS on, on Reddit, um, the most championship points, and of course, this year is a little, maybe not diluted, but it's a little amplified because we have the sprint race weekends. But through nine races, Max Verstappen's on 211 points. In 2006, Alonso started with 204. Um, Vettel did 204 in 2011. Schumacher did 201 in 2002. Schumacher did 200 in 2004. I mean, Lewis, his best nine race start in terms of points was two, 2019 with 196 and in 2015 with 194. So by far, and again, amplified because he had two sprint race weekends, but 211 points to start the first nine races. That's the most points um, in that span in history. That, that, that That's amazing. I mean, we, we really are watching history right uh, before our eyes. Um, Mark, before we talk about other things, we, you know, I want to talk to you now about the new format for the sprint uh, weekends. I've seen it a couple of times now. Yeah. So we have qualifying on Friday. So whoever qualifies, you know, and qualifying is qualifying. That sets the grid for for Saturday. Or sorry, pardon me, Sunday. There's none of this kind of mucking around that we've seen the last couple of years. You have the sprint shootout in the morning on Saturdays, the sprint race in the afternoon. I have to say I'm liking this now. Like I, I think it's starting to evolve into what it should be. We're qualifying is qualifying. The Grand Prix is the Grand Prix and the sprint race is its own thing. So I know it makes for a lot of watching because, you know, you know, uh, you know full disclosure here. I sat down yesterday to or actually I watched qualifying on Friday night that I sat down on uh, on yesterday, yesterday on Saturday before all the Canada Day festivities. Yay us. Anyways, I sat down to watch the sprint race and. I started and I was just about to let the, the the lights turn green. I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself here. It's like, why is this grid all like look all really like different than than yesterday? I'm like, oh right. And so then I backed out right away. Try not to look at too hard that with what was lined up in front of me there on my screen. Went back and watched the sprint race shootout. But you know, to wrap up a bit of a, a rambling, uh, you know, tan- well, not tangent, but uh, before I ramble more than usual, I have to admit I like this new format. It's starting to work for me. I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah, daily. I'm I'm there. I'm I'm absolutely there. And I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of sprint race weekends like if if the fia and liberty came together and said hey look you know what it's not working for us we're not getting the numbers that we expected we're going to scrap it maybe we'll revisit in a couple of years i'd be fine with that but i think this is the format that works best for me as a fan i love mm-hmm. the fact that qualifying 
sets sets the grid for the Grand Prix. I love the person that who that sets the fastest lap in Q3 of qualifying gets pole and they get that historical achievement, that historical historical record. I love the fact that on Saturday it's kind of its own self-contained contained mini Grand Prix weekend. You have sprint qualifying yeah. and then you have the sprint race and that's totally independent from the rest of the weekend. I don't love that there's only one practice session, but at the same time, that's a unique challenge. It's a unique challenge to the drivers because they only get that one session to feel out the track. And it's a unique challenge for the engineers and everyone back at the, at the factory that's pouring through the data and the drivers to get their setup dialed in. Because I talked about this a little bit on Thursday when you and I were doing the Grand Prix preview. I'm like, you have one shot to set up, to get your car set up. If you don't, you are going to struggle throughout the course of the race weekend. And I think that's kind of cool. Like you could say that's a detriment to the weekend, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, these are world-class Formula One teams. I don't mind, you know what, giving them that unique challenge six times a year. But daily, I'm totally with you. I think this is the perfect format and big kudos to the FIA and Liberty because they've innovated every year. So we had three of these in 21. We had three of them last year. We have six of them this year. They've innovated and they've innovated and they've listened to feedback. And I think this is as close to as close to good. It's not perfect, but I think it's as close to good as we've seen yet. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, if you dial back a couple of years ago, you and I were really, really excited about the prospect of sprint races. And then it got introduced and then we kind of came back and we're saying, "Eh, I don't know, this this isn't really working for either of us. But, you know, the other thing that I like, too, is that they decided to put it on the Saturday. They don't put it on the Friday. They put it on the Saturday because I think that if they put it on the Friday, that a lot of people just be kind of like, meh, you know, just kind of walk away and not uh, not not bother tuning into it. But you have qualifying, which is still qualifying, which is important, which is, you know, for, for me, qualifying is appointment television. I still make sure I carve time out of my day to sit down. Well, not only because I have to sit down and do this podcast, but the fact is I enjoy watching qualifying. I enjoy the format, the, you know, the, the Q1, Q2, Q3, top 10 shootout, et cetera. But I think, you know, like you say, Saturday sprint race, self-contained mini Grand Prix weekend. I'm, it, it's working for me. I think it's really good. So um, why do we just, I think uh, just, just so I think we set sure. up the rest of this podcast. I feel like, because because I'm, I have my wife in my ear, but I feel <laughs> like, because, and it's her recommendation, we should probably take a break. And when we That's get back- That's what I was going to do. Oh, perfect. I, I was just going to say, though, we need to get into track <laughs> limits. I can't believe we're 17 minutes into this podcast and we haven't even uttered the words track limit because I think that will dominate the rest of the show. Exactly. And on that note, we're going to take a quick uh, break here from uh, for a message from our sponsor. So don't go away. We will be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Welcome back to the show. And as previously discussed before the break, now is the time to discuss track limits. Hammy, I don't understand it. We've been sitting here for at least the last three years. This is a known thing at the Red Bull ring. And I think it was 2021 when there was like a, a lot of complaining about maybe it wasn't track limits itself, but the lack of consistency in enforcing it. But today they handed out, you know, penalties, five second penalties to what? 60% of the grid, 60% of the cars running. I think there was 12 penalties handed out. Well, I, I think a couple of guys got multiple penalties, <laughs> but, you know, 12 penalties handed out for you know, exceeding track limits. And this was just the story of literally the entire weekend. And wow, I, I just don't understand. Like, I understand that they really have to push it. I understand that they're going down the hill into two very quick corners and corner you know, turns nine and ten. But still, you know, after like this be like like almost an annual conversation every time we go to the Red Bull ring, I just don't understand why this is still a thing. And where you have other guys like or some drivers like Lando and Fernando that managed to, for the most part, keep it clean and keep it between the white lines that why for for some drivers it seems to be a real issue and others not so much but it was it was a recurring thing all weekend long and especially on sunday the FIA issued a statement today and they said in order to address this issue for future events we will review or sorry we will renew our recommendation to the circuit to add a gravel trap at the exit of turns 9 and 10 we note mm. that while this is not a straightforward solution in relation to other series that race here it has proved to be a very effective at other corners and circuits with similar issues so what you're talking about is this and we we talked about we talked about this on the Thursday, Friday show that this is a deceptively challenging circuit. Like if you look at it on a map, if you look at the top down topographical view of the track, it's not that challenging, right? It's 10 corners, but even that is a bit mis misguided because turn two is really not a turn at all. Turn one's really aggressive. Turn three is really aggressive, but it's almost like it's an oval shape that folds in on itself at a certain point where it becomes challenging though, is the fact that there's a ton of elevation. You're 700 meters above sea level. You you have several hundred meters of elevation change within the track itself. And on the back half of the track, you're coming downhill. And where the drivers really struggled, and again, I'm not going to come on the show today and blast the FIA. I think we, we, we need to criticize the FIA, but this isn't purely an FIA-related issue. There's a couple of things at play here. When you get into turn nine and when you get into turn 10, like you said, it's downhill. And turn 10 is a bit of a blind corner. So they are they are deceptively challenging corners. And a couple of things that makes this track really difficult is given the construct of the track, given the distances between the straights and the corners, and given the nature of the corners, it's really, really, really easy to cook your brakes on this circuit. And if you cook your brakes, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to brake earlier going into a corner, which you never want to do because you don't want to give up an advantage to the car following you, or you're going to break on time, but you're going to run deep into the corner. And in those cases, you're going to threaten to 
to violate track limits. The other thing that's really challenging on this circuit is given the construct and given the nature of the turns and the fact that there's not a lot of places to cool your tires, you often cook your tires. And if you cook your tires, you're going to understeer. And if you understeer, you're going to go wide into a corner. The other thing with turn nine and turn 10, and this is kind of a compounded issue. The other issue with turn nine and 10 is that just happens to be the fastest line for a Formula One driver. So the drivers, knowing that they're always going to drive on the absolute limit, they are going to push that line as close as they can because they don't want to give up a millisecond of track time. So it's a combination of things for the drivers. Look, you know what? I don't want to open up the brake ducts because I don't want to create the drag. So I'm going to keep them closed and my brakes are going to overheat. I'm also going to have, I'm also going to struggle to keep my tires cool because of the nature of the track. It's also a high deg track and everyone had issues with degradation. And then furthermore, on top of all of that, I'm going to push as wide as I can because that's the best racing line is the best way to carry speed going into that straight straight up to turn one. So there's a lot of things there. The other thing that I heard, and Alex Albon talked about this a lot during one of the post-race shows, is he talked about the fact that he didn't get a warning about track limits until lap 20. And he's like, he got a warning at lap 20 and then 21. And then suddenly at lap 23, you've got a five-second penalty. And he's like, what the F? How do I have a penalty? And they're like, well, your, your track limit violations began 15 laps ago. So he was criticizing the FIA at that point because they weren't accumulating and monitoring this and passing that feedback onto the teams effectively. At the same time, you've got to be able to criticize the teams. Like If you have drivers that are consistently violating track limits corner after corner, lap after lap, you need to be able to give them that feedback as well. But his feedback was like, look, you know what? They weren't even informing us. So he's like, I'm not going to adjust my style of driving. I'm not going to change my driving lines and my braking point and my turning point because there's no reason to. And then all of a sudden, he's got a five-second penalty, which was a little bit alarming. Now, early on in the race, I think this first started becoming apparent to us that there was going to be an issue, like you said, as we've seen in prior years and as we saw in qualifying, because we were picking up the the radio feedback with Lando Norris and he was behind Lewis. He's like, he's going off every corner. He's going off every corner. And I think the race commentators kind of joke like, Hey, look, the FIA can see this. You don't need to say it. But the reality is the FIA didn't have control of the situation and they've effectively implemented a rule set that they can't themselves police. They can't actually monitor this. And the challenge I think that we're all discovering now is that they have to very manually count and calculate track limits. There's no combination of cameras and sensors and drones that can do this themselves. So after the race, when Aston Martin lodged that complaint, we find out, yeah, there was potentially 1,200 track limit violations that we need to dig through. And it takes them five hours to manually dig through them. So as much as I don't want to give the FIA all of the blame for the fact that we ended up in another situation where the initial race classification had to be significantly adjusted, they certainly deserve a lot of it because they weren't informing the drivers and the teams in real time of what was happening. And then they weren't even able to compile and comb through the data until four or five hours after because there was so much of the data and it's so manual for them calculate the violation. So, you know, we were doing we were doing a spaces chat earlier today and the eventual final penalties came out and I think we were all just gobsmacked that we were expecting something, but we certainly weren't expecting the race classification to be reordered as drastically as it was and you know, you talked about it a, a couple of minutes ago 
Fortunately, there was no change to the top three. Max Charles, Sergio were pretty clean, but Lando Morris moved up to fifth. Um, Fernando Alonso moved, or sorry, Lando moved up to fourth. Fernando moved up to fifth. Carlos slotted down to fourth or to sixth from fourth. George Russell went from eighth to seventh. Lewis went from seventh to eighth. Lance went from tenth to ninth. Pierre Gasly went from ninth to tenth. Like it was, it was a mess, man. And I'm dying because you and I haven't talked about this. Like, where does the blame fall here? Is this on the race organizers because they're unwilling to adjust the track? Is it on the FIA because they should have been kind of reacting to this in real time? Or is it on the drivers that are just going to push for every every potential millisecond they can by driving the fastest line possible and just hope that they're not going to get penalized for it? You know, I I think there's blame to be to be given uh, like all rounds, but out of everything, I'm going to blame the FIA the least because the rules pretty clear. Pretty clear. You have to have, you know, you have to keep the car between the two white lines on either side of the track. So I'm going to put the onus all on the drivers on uh, and on the teams. There's, you can't tell me that they didn't know where the cars are. I mean, like the team should be able to see that. I mean, perfect point of view is Lando's engineer was on there on, on the radio during the racing. Keep it between the white lines. You know, you've been doing good. And I misspoke. Only George and Fernando, you know, they kept their their, their noses clean, uh, you know, the, the entire race. So Lando, but I mean, he did get penalized. But basically, his race engineer was telling him, you know, giving him the feedback in, in real time as to what's going on. So if McLaren and Lando, you know, can do that themselves, why are the other nine teams, why are the other 19 drivers not doing that? And then also, I think that, you know, there's something has to be, you know, said about the race organizer lately you know if they don't want to take the fi's recommendation and put a gravel trap there that would certainly change things because you put a couple of tires over the back of that uh you know the the back of that curb you're not going to be driving over that that painted asphalt or whatever it is you're going to be sticking a couple of tires into the gravel and you may or may not be getting out of that and even if you do get out of that you're going to bleed off so much speed you're going to be good driving like a tractor down that start finish straight and you know that could leave you vulnerable to an overtake and et cetera. Right. So I, I think that the order that I would put on it is put mo- most of the blames on the, the, the drivers and the teams, then the track organizers and the FIA is just doing what a regulator does. This is the rules. This is what we have to enforce. It's just that, you know, and I totally understand you get in the car, you push, you push to the absolute limit. And I totally, I admire and respect the drivers for that. But when, you know, we're not talking about like half a dozen instances. We're talking about 1,200, 1,200 instances. And yeah, that that's extremely onerous for the FIA to like police. And sure, you can say, well, you know, you know, yeah, what you know, they should be able to have something that they could do this like a little bit more automated than having to go through it manually. <laughs> but how you know if like i say if it was half a dozen if it was if it was 50 incidents uh, in, instances of this then that's too, still doable but I mean, would you hear 1200 instances of exceeding track limits during this grand prix means that this was constantly happening during the race like on every single lap and then to go and analyze it and see yeah was that car completely over the 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 the, the white line i mean sometimes you know you need multiple angles maybe you don't see it all from one maybe you have to look at it multiple times so there's no quick thing i mean look look at video replay and other sports you know it's just like in the nfl for you know whatever it might be referee goes over takes a look at the replay they look at the war room whatever it is depending on the sport sometimes you need to take that time to create 
critically analyze a situation. So I wouldn't just blame, you know, put this, um, you know, just on the FAA because I don't see a real handy or, you know, perfect way of doing it unless you talk about like goal line technology in soccer, right? You, we know nowadays whether or not a ball crosses the goal line. We know in real time whether it is a goal or not, but they still have the, the, the VAR, the virtual assistant referee for certain situations. And even that isn't perfect and it takes time. And, you know, and, you know, if you look at other instances, you're not going to get a controversial play in the NFL every single snap of the ball or in soccer, whatever the sport is. I mean, they, they do come up during the course of a game, but I mean, you know, you're not going to have like 1200 controversial PI calls or, you know, instances in a, in a 60 minute NFL game. And, you know, <laughs> you kind of make as many comparisons as you want. So like the FIA said, this was an unprecedented situation. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was when, I, when I saw that number, it literally had me blew my mind. Totally. And let and we'll take a step back here real quick because I, I think some people at home would probably appreciate the definition of of track limits violations. So it's an Please. instance where all four tires are outside the white lines. And for a variety of reasons, which we described a couple of minutes ago, there's a propensity for that to happen on turn nine and turn 10 at the Red Bull ring. And the reason drivers are willing to take that risk is because there is no physical consequence to exceeding track limits in those two places because it's all tarmac and because they flattened the curbs years ago. Now, if you talk to the race organizers, and there's a couple of options here. One, you put in super aggressive curbs, which will decimate your carbon fiber, which is a real physical penalty for the drivers. And they're like, I will not exceed track limits here because I do not want to damage my floor. Could could also be potentially dangerous if it's too destructive. Totally, 100%. And that's why they were flattened originally. Um, Or you install a gravel trap or Logan Sargent. And I think um, Alex Albon talked about this post-race as well, possibly a, a strip of grass on the opposite side of the of the sausage curb. But I think the challenge for the race organizer is that this track is used heavily for high level motorcycle racing. And that would be the consequences for a bike exceeding track limits and hitting a gravel trap in that spot would be incredibly dangerous. So I think the resistance from the race organizers is like, no, this is a multi-purpose track and we need to cover our bills and we cover our bills by hosting motorcycle racing. And the FIA is like, we don't care. There's a really easy fix. Install a gravel trap because that will discourage the drivers from doing this. Now, the penalty that accumulates is this. You get a warning, another warning, another warning, another warning, and then bam, a five-second penalty. And if you do it again, you get another five-second penalty. And then the counter resets and it starts again. So when we talk about, hey, this driver got a five-second penalty, a 10-second penalty, a 10-second penalty, you can start to do the math to understand how many times they have had to have exceeded it. Now, Bryson Sullivan did posted a really good tweet earlier today that I'll read quickly. He said the F or he said F1 was so eager to introduce a new simple rule on track limits that they failed to realize they didn't actually possess the technology to enforce it. Manual determination of track limit violations is both exhausting for the stewards and potentially very inconsistent, which I think you something you and I and all the fans would be really sensitive to, right? Like if you ultimately mm-hmm. see saw a one race by somebody that didn't exceed track limits as far as the adjudication of the F FIA, but on camera, we can see it, we'd be mad. So he says, manual determination of track limit violations is both exhausting for the stewards and potentially very inconsistent. New technologies will need to be developed to design a fully automated system, but it is what's necessary. And he continues, it was a problem last year too. They were relying on CCTV cameras. No clue why they thought the problem would just solve itself. We need changes and we need them expeditiously. 
I wonder if there's like a, a more low tech solution to this. I mean, if you go up to the turn three where they get to the top of the hill and they have a similar like asphalt uh, runoff area where they go around that very sharp 120 degree turn or whatever it is, there is a sausage curb on the outside of the track there that if you see the cars that go around and then they come back, they avoid that sausage curb. I wonder if they could do something with like those little bits of plastic or fiberglass, I guess they're plastic or whatever they are. I wonder if they could do something like those in like turns nine and 10, that would just be specific for formula one, but then they could be removed for say motorcycle racing or something like that. Just put them in there for a deterrent said, you know, whatever configuration or layout or geometry, whatever it is uh, that, uh, you know, just, you know, prevents the temptation to run wide through those corners. I mean, otherwise, you know, like, Sometimes, I don't know, the simplest solution might be the best one. Like, you know, full respect to Bryce and what he's thinking. It just, to me, seems very, very complicated when I just kind of wonder, you know, could you just take some little plastic sausage curbs and like lay them down on those, you know, those corners for the uh, Austrian Grand Prix weekend, whether that would do the trick. And I'm trying to think outside did, of the maybe, box. Maybe yeah. it does here. Maybe it works here. But I, I think that ultimately they need to be able to develop implement and use infrastructure that would enable enable them to have real-time feedback, right? Like we oh, yeah. should all know yeah. sitting at home instantly exceeded, exceeded, exceeded because if the drivers are getting that data, they will adjust their driving just as quickly as they would if they were to clip a sausage curb and break a piece of their floor. Like they're going to adjust their driving in real time. And that I guess ultimately the consequences have never been significant enough for them to change their their driving behaviors. And ultimately again, like you said, I don't I don't blame them. They're going to push to the limits and they're going to try to push as far as they can. Mm-hmm. But it was remarkable how many times it did did happen. And like I said, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of the lack of consequences physically. It's the fact that their tires were probably overheating and they were high deg. There was probably a little bit of oversteer because of a combination of different factors. But ultimately, I think it was just driver choice because you make a really great point too, that there were a lot of drivers today that had no issue with track limits, none whatsoever. Yeah, unfortunately, it was just George and Fernando Alonso, which is like, you know, a very, very small percentage of the you know, the overall, you know, number of drivers and cars out there. But I was just thinking, Mark, like right now, you can turn on a race and you don't even need to watch form, you know, F1 TV Pro just built into the graphics during the race feed. You'll have a track map with a dot with the driver's three letter abbreviation going around. So they obviously have some way to position the cars, at least in a course sense of the word. Uh, you know, or, or sense of the meaning, right? Is there, I, I just wonder if there would be some way to reposition that sensor. I mean, you can get survey like level, like land surveying level. And I know this because this is my business, um, you know, like GPS uh, equipment and, you know, granted it's fairly big, but, you know, it is like sub centimeter accuracy. We're, we're talking millimeters, right? And horizontal positioning there's got to be some way that they could figure out something similar to implement that into a formula one car, because then we would know, uh, you know, you would think whether or not, uh, you know, the car is wi- within or out of the, uh, the, the, the track limits. Again, just trying to throw some ideas out here. And of course, like that technology is, is very, very expensive, you know, even from, you know, like a land surveying point of view, the cost 
tens of thousands of dollars per unit. But hey, this is Formula One, you know, it'd be kind of cool, right? We didn't necessarily and talk again, a lot about the penalties that impacted those outside the top 10 as well. And like I said, the reality is yeah. we saw the race, the race concluded, they went to the podium, the preliminary classification came out, we waited multiple hours and the FIA, I think prompted in large part <laughs> by the by the protest from Aston Martin went back and revisited. And these were actually the penalties that were added incrementally to those that were given during the race. Carlos Sainz was given a 10 second penalty. Lewis was given a 10. Pierre was given a 10. Albon was given a 10. Esteban Ocon was given a five, a 10, a five, and another 10. Logan Sargent was given a 10. DeVries was given a 10 and a five. And Yuki Sonoda was given a five. So regardless of where the blame lies, and I think it's a little bit of everything. It's the race organizers, it's the FIA, it's the drivers. Um, I, I think the the sense I get afterwards was at least the application of the rule, even if it took an extra five hours, seems to have been pretty consistent that we're not here sitting here. We're not sitting here talking about the fact that somebody finished in a, a race classification that was undeserved because we have documentation showing that they exceeded track limits multiple times. At least we're not having that conversation. But I think ultimately it's a bad look for the sport. It's a bad look for FI, for the FIA and it's a bad look for, F, for F1. And hopefully there's some sort of urgency to develop a system that can be applied ongoing to all circuits throughout the calendar can i can i be a little bit cheeky and facetious now for next year for the uh, yeah so so why did we just keep it simple next year why did we just like run the race don't hound out any penalties during the race at the end of the race if you get one black and white flag you get a five second penalty if you get two black and white flags you get a 10 second penalty added to your time and it, it kind of like go on from there that way totally. you know it just uh, <laughs> you know I, i'd be kind of silly here hey, but David, uh, can i ask you a question you know, pivoting sure. pivoting away because i i think we've given yep. our our due diligence to track limits uh your thoughts on ferrari this weekend so we've seen glimpses and maybe we want to kind of tease and kind of pick this up after the break but we've seen yep. some pace from them recently and some reasonably strong top end speed they had a great sprint race and they put together a pretty strong race weekend uh, Charles Leclerc finished P2. That is the best finish for Ferrari this year. Also, their 800th podium in, in race history. But your thoughts on Ferrari, or maybe you save it for after the break. Um, yeah, well, let, let's do that. Let's take, because uh, I'm sure we want to talk about them, and uh, we want to talk about uh, McLaren and Lando. I think uh, that, that uh, bears some uh, time as well. So let's do that. We'll come back in a moment, we'll talk about Ferrari and a whole bunch more. So don't go away. We'll be back on the flip side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Welcome back. So yes, Mark, uh, let's talk about Ferrari now. So yeah, Carlos uh, finishes uh, P3 in the sprint race. Not such a great sprint for for Charles, who finishes all the way down in P12. But I, I think what's, you know, when it comes to Ferrari, I, th I think what we can see now is there's a glimmer of hope. And I, I think that they've kind of, I don't want to say that they were rudderless, but, you know, they, they certainly 
dug themselves into or backed themselves into a corner. You know, they they parted ways with Mattia Bonotto, and then you you bring in Fred Vasseur right after you know right at the beginning of the year, and a very difficult time for for this uh, fellow to do anything as team principal. But I'm kind of wondering now that the the, the glimmers, the flashes of something you know promising from Ferrari is finally that we're seeing the fingerprints and the influence of Fred Vasseur as the team principal starting to percolate up and and I'm starting to say I'm feeling a little bit of hope you know uh, I don't I don't want to get like too you know too positive about it because you know we've been kind of like really buoyant on uh, Mercedes the last couple of weeks <laughs> last couple of races and they were quite uh, there this weekend but you know, Lewis, of course, like you just uh, lined, uh, you know, explained nicely before the race there, or sorry, before the race, before the break uh, was hit with a pe- penalty for track limits. So, I mean, that kind of like, uh, you know, messed things up there because, I mean, he did finish, what was it, in P8 or something like that after it was all said and done. So, anyways, but I, I think it's promising. I mean, I, I know that uh, I think the quote from Carlos Sainz was something to affect was that there was hardly any positives uh, to be taken away from the weekend. And and I really think that's that's a glass is half empty kind of comment from, from Carlos. I mean, I thought he had a great scrap with the Sergio Perez during the Grand Prix on uh, on Sunday. I think there was, you know, both of them were really pushing it to the limit in, in both attacking and defending. But I mean, it, it was great fun to watch them uh, going out it there for two three four laps or or whatever it was but at the end of the at the end of the day sure carlos gets that penalty which drops him down to six but i mean charles like you say he gets a p2 after a a disappointing um a disappointing sprint race carlos finishes p3 in the uh in the sprint but you know you look at the, the the qualifying they were pretty good in qualifying i mean P2 and they're sorry they um the grid there they are lined up in second and third I think it was so I mean it was very very positive from them and l- like you uh, you know, pointed out because you know when we had the safety car there or the VSC right at the beginning whatever it was when everybody was coming in for the for you know to to change tires of like oh Ferrari they blew it but like you pointed out that was just unfortunate timing for them and and there were a couple little bumps along the way, but I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, you get your 800th podium in Formula One. There's some some glimmer of hope. I, I think you got to walk away from the weekend as Ferrari that, hey, it, it may not have been flashy. It might not have been that P1. It might not have been the you know pole position in qualifying. We might not have won the sprint race. Sure, Max got all the, uh, all the headlines, but we did some good things this weekend after, you know, a, a pretty up and down, well, I would say up and down a season which is times has been more down than up I, I don't know if you agree with me mark i i do and i want to kind of set up a data point that i'd like to share and obviously this probably won't okay. come as a surprise max's q3 time was a 104.4 um his fastest lap was a 107.012 but if you look and this is a number i pulled from reddit if you look at mean race pace there were only four cars on the grid today that finished below one minute 10 seconds max's mean race pace was 109348 Perez was 109.837, so almost half a second off the pace of Max Verstappen, who, of course, was running in clean air. But then you had the two Ferraris. You had Charles Leclerc at 109.859, just fractions of a second behind Sergio Perez in that dominant Red Bull. And then just behind him was Carlos Sainz at 109.9. And then, of course, Lando Norris had a phenomenal weekend. We could talk a little bit about that. He finished 110, and then you have the two Aston Martins in the 110s as well. But I think you have to, you have to consider 
where Carlos Sainz's head was. So I, I saw the post-race interview as well. And obviously he wasn't super satisfied with the outcome. At that point, he hadn't been award awarded. He hadn't been given the 10-second penalty that ultimately dropped him from P4 to P6. But if you look at the early, if you look at the early stages of this race, he had significantly pay, better pace than Charles Leclerc. And of course, he was asking and asking and asking. And they said, no, hold, hold, hold. And Frederick Vasseur was asked post-race, like, hey, why didn't you, why didn't you act on this? He's like, we we were never going to act on that. Our our race strategy was that our two drivers were never going to race, and that that was always going to be the outcome. Um, and of course, they they ultimately did the double stack in the VSC, and of course, they went in a lap later than everyone else because of their positioning on the track. Fortunately, it was okay. It was a little bit slow, and of course, I think Carlos Sainz lost a couple of track positions, which wasn't ideal. But I think his his headspace was, "Hey, I could have overtaken Charles. I should have been the lead car at that pit stop. I lost some spaces because Charles had a slow pit." Blah, blah, blah. I could have had a better weekend. But the one really, really, really optimistic note that he shared post-race was he said, okay, basically aside from all of that, is the car in a better place than it was five or six races ago? And he said, unquestionably, the car has come miles from where it was at the beginning of the season. So despite the fact that I think he may have been unhappy with the outcome of the race for a variety of different reasons, um, I think he's very optimistic about where the car is. And I think you touched on this a couple of minutes as well. He did a phenomenal job fighting back Sergio Perez in that far superior Red Bull lap after lap. The defense that he was showing to keep that car behind him was was next level. So I think a, a P2 and a P6 is obviously, I think obviously Ferrari would have liked a P2 and a P4, uh, but I think they're going to be very happy with this outcome, especially when you look at mean race pace, lap over lap. Uh, they were in a great place. And of course, again, Max's numbers are a little bit skewed because he's in clean air. He probably had a little bit left in the tank and ultimately he, he basically just walked past both of the Ferraris towards the end of this race after he pitted. Um, and of course, he had that 24 second lead and it went down, or he had that six, the 24 second lead, which went down to six because he wanted to come in and get the fastest lap. But ultimately, I think there's a lot of things to be optimistic about if you are Ferrari. And like you said, Frederick Vassour, hey, I've been here for six, seven months now. My imprint is possibly starting to show. And the other takeaway, too, is it's not just the car mechanically that seems to be in a good place operationally and with their decision making Ferrari seems to be in a better place as well. Yeah, you're you're never going to turn a ship the size of Ferrari around overnight and Vasseur coming in at such an awkward moment in the off season was was not ideal timing. So I mean, you have to give him at least for this year a very generous pinch of salt to to let him do his job and 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 make the changes that uh, that he makes uh, needs to make. But you know, it was interesting that uh, you just sort of uh, ran down those uh, th- those times there, the mean race pace because if you go back and you look at the qualifying so uh, like you say, back set a 104.4 for his, um, you know, his, uh, his pull time. Charles's uh, time was a 104.44. So not that far off the pace. Carlos was a 104.58 and then Lando was a 104.66. So, I mean, that's not a bad spread considering I know it's a short lap and everything like that at, uh, at the Red Bull ring as well. But, you know, I, I think very much like we were saying at the beginning of the show about Sergio that you've, you've, you've had, you know, a, a string of bad races, a bad thing. And on top of it, I mean, the thing that we, we should, you know, mention as well and give props to for Sergio, he was sick this weekend as well. So, you know, I, I, yeah, you know, so I think you, you take that away from from all that as well if, if you're Checo. But I think Ferrari too that okay, you know, it, it's been a pretty 
you know, sketchy year so far, but let's, let's walk away from with, with the positives this weekend, because we're, we're not really going to see this, what, what this team is going to be like under Fred Vasseur until we see a Fred Vasseur led Ferrari team, put a Fred Vasseur led Ferrari team's car, Ferrari car yeah. on the yeah, track. Yeah, totally. And we're agree. not going to totally see that till to, to 24. Okay. So that's can, cool. Is, Let, can we let's pivot on now. to Lando now? It, like, I think that's the perfect place. Exactly. So the, Lando that's Norris, exactly what I want to do. Driver yeah. of the day. He, he made a comment during the course of the weekend, which was they always tend to put a pretty good effort forward during qualifying when they're on fresh, sticky tires and the fuel tank is empty. Because of course, during qualifying, you run the lightest trim possible. And he said this was the first weekend this year where their qualifying experience translated into an actual race result. And early on, and and it's funny, you know, early on he was behind Lewis and it just felt like he was going to reel Lewis in. And Lewis was obviously very happy. And we'll talk a little bit about Mercedes because I think they had a, a, a this weekend while not a horror show was a massive disappointment to them but I think Lando Norris showed possibly what that car is capable of and of course they're they're kind of running this disjointed strategy right now where Lando got all those upgrades a couple of weeks ago and Oscar Piastri hasn't seen them yet so right now it's not necessarily a fair comp if you want to index Oscar Piastri against uh, his teammate Lando Norris because they've got completely different setups in terms of the setup of the car and the parts that have been bolted onto the top surface but ultimately Lando Norris looks fantastic I was not expecting a P4 from Mercedes from McLaren Mercedes this weekend no exactly and and pardon me I wanted to jump in there because I think you raise a great point that that Lando would affect is is driving a completely different uh, McLaren than Oscar is Mercedes basically Exactly, because Lando finishes P4 in this race. Poor old Oscar is all the way down in P16, which is very much what that car cap- was capable of at the beginning part of the season. Because, I mean, if you dial it back to Bahrain, to to Australia, to some of the races that we had in the first half dozen, it was not looking very bright for, 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 for McLaren. But, I mean... If you're Oscar now, you must be, you know, like you must be going and knocking on, uh, you know, Zach Brown's door or texting him or WhatsApping him or whatever, Snapchatting him, sending him Snapchats, telling him, this, Zach, you got to get me these parts on my car. I mean, look what Lando's doing. He's like, I, I, you know, I, I'm wallowing back here in the bottom third of the running order where my, my teammate is just outside the podium. So you, you know, maybe if you're Oscar and, and I'm sure he's completely aware of, okay, Lando's been with the team for a while he's the number one driver i'm the new guy i'm the 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 rookie but you know that being said if you're oscar and and, and seeing that delta between yourself and your teammate who has this updated car you must just be like chomping at the bit wanting to get those same bits on your car and just uncork the potential that this this mclaren appears to have now so i mean we will see now what happens at silverstone next weekend and beyond but you know a, 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 again, I mean, for a team that has also had like an up and down start to the season, that this was a very, very, you know, big difference in performance. And it was exciting. And and Lando is just very good at the Red Bull ring. This is where he got his first podium a couple of years ago. He drives very well there. But to that being said, I mean, th- that's a big difference because we've seen at different times the, during the year that when these two drivers, when Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri have similar equipment, the delta between them under normal circumstances, it, it's, it's pretty even. Lando typically has come out ahead, but uh, Oscar, despite being a rookie, 
hasn't been that far behind. So, you know, obviously he's going to want to get those on as soon as possible. It's probably not a fair comp anyways, just because Lando has so much more experience in Formula One. But if you look at them Mm -hmm. head to head in Q2, uh, Lando Norris yeah. finished with a 105.038, and Oscar was almost exactly a half second behind. And if you look at mean race pace, like I said earlier, Norris was 110.144. Um, Oscar Piastri was 110.993. So eight tenths of a second mm. behind with that current package. And again, I, I would say a couple tenths of that is just because Lando's a more experienced driver and he has a lot more confidence and he spent a lot more time at the Red Bull ring, but a pretty significant gap. Um, a couple of other notes from Lando post-race. He said, hey, it was a tough but enjoyable drive. Um, he said the performance today put a huge smile on the face of him, everyone in the garage, and everyone back at the factory. Um, indicated something that I think a lot of people spoke to, which was tire degradation was a major issue. And again, we know the aggregate here is a little bit rough, and we know that the tires tend to get hot, and it's a challenge to keep them cool, And which is obviously one of the reasons why we typically have a two-stop race, um, but probably not a big surprise there. Um, and like I said, I think their biggest surprise was, hey, look, you know what? We can qualify well when we're on low fuel with fresh tires. Um, qualifying hides a lot of their issues, but then those issues become apparent the minute they get into race trim and they hit the grid. So um, a really, really, really good weekend for them entirely. Absolutely. Hey, Hammy, I don't have too much more to say about this one. So how about this? How about we wrap it up, go down the final race classification, go through the championships, finish off with a fantasy Works before for me. we turn off Works the lights. All right, let's do this then. Okay, so after it was all said and done and, you know, like, like Hammy so nicely put it at the beginning of the show, now that we've had the benefit of uh, you know many hours between the end of this Grand Prix and uh, the time that we've sat down in the studio, the, the, the final race classification has, well, hopefully it won't change again. It won't, but... <laughs> <laughs> Formula One, right? Anyways, the final race classification was Max Verstappen winning the Austrian Grand Prix for Red Bull. Charles Leclerc coming second for Ferrari. Sergio Perez, the ill and somewhat weak Sergio Perez coming home P3, so good for him. Lando Norris for McLaren in P4. Fernando Alonso on a somewhat quiet and uneventful weekend for himself. And Aston Martin came home fifth. Carlos Sainz, after his penalty, came home sixth. George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, both for Mercedes in P7 and 8. Lance Stroll in the second, Aston Martin in P9. And then Pierre Gasly in the first of the two Alpines rounding out the top 10. So when we get into the Drivers' Championship now, you have uh, Max Verstappen still on top where he's been right since the beginning of the year. Max currently with 229 points. Sergio Perez has 148 points. Fernando Alonso still in third position, or I guess he's moved back into third position uh, with 131 points. Lewis Hamilton is fourth in the Drivers' Championship with 106. And then Carlos Sainz rounding out the top five with 82. So if you look over on the Constructors' uh, side of the championship now, Red Bull 377 points and they are ahead of Mercedes, who are second with 178. Aston Martin only three points behind with 175. So that could be a juicy battle in the Constructors' Championship coming up. And then you have Ferrari fourth with 154. So Ferrari, don't count them out in the uh, Constructors yet. Uh, you know They might have something to say about that. And then a long way back to Alpine, who are fifth in the Constructors with 47 points. But like you said earlier in the show, Max is 229 points. 
Mercedes, who are second in the constructors championship, have 178. Wow. But even if you look at Sergio, like, I mean, don't discount Sergio because, I mean, he's you know, brought home a fair amount of points this season, too, despite a couple of uh, you know, sketchy races uh, before today. He has 148 points, which would put him, you know, fifth in the, the constructors championship on his own, only six points uh, behind for uh, for for Ferrari. So, you know, Checo, despite, uh, like I say, some struggles, has still uh, brought home a, uh, you know, a fair amount of points, uh, a decent haul. But anyways, enough about that. Fantasy, I saw your tweet. There's been some big moves up and down Major in the top moves. 10. So let's hear it. Let's, let's, I, I, yeah, first of all, I feel it. terrible because I posted the updated fantasy shortly after the race. And then when they reclassified <laughs> everyone, the fantasy got shook up, but some big changes. So moving up to spot number one, no does. Moving up to spot number two, Two, Vince Des one sliding to number three, L one F one sliding to number four, Ole's Lena sliding to number five, Nathan's team staying solid at number six, the bad guy one up to P seven, Vince Des two up to P eight, the bad guy bye bye sliding down to eight, Bengals Bubs up to ten, Red Devil seven up to eleven, Layman Racing one down to twelve, Bonos Diaz down to thirteen, Charles CL down to fourteen, Fire Ferrets and then also fourteen FC racing number three um, and up to number 16 crash team racing but the big changes up p1 and p2 with no does and vince des coming out of nowhere we haven't heard from him all year and suddenly he's got two two teams in the top 10 which is incredible Awesome. Good for them. Awesome. That, that, that's just uh, really cool to hear some big changes. And you know, we still have uh, a lot of racing to go this year. So, I mean, this could change uh, quite a bit uh, between now and uh, Abu Dhabi. Anyways, Hammy, fun to do this as always. You know, uh, <laughs> like you say, at the, you're saying at the top of the show, we were planning to do this this, uh, this morning, but thank goodness we didn't or else we would have. Would we have come back and done like a uh, an, an update show or would we just left it till Thursday? I think we probably would have left, left it till say, Thursday and apologize. Yeah. <laughs> um, just uh, by the way, speaking of Thursday, um, I just so everyone's aware, we are both very much aware of Delano Vantahoff and and his unfortunate passing this weekend yes. at Spa. We've Horrible. got that teed up. We're going to talk about that one on Thursday. So just don't feel that we're doing um, showing any sign of disrespect. We just thought like, hey, you know what? We're better positioned to talk about that during our weekly news show. So we'll talk about yep. that on Thursday, Thursday, Friday. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, horrible, horrible news. Anyways, uh, let's uh, park it there for tonight. Uh, thank you one and all for, for joining in. If you want to uh, get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod or email us at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, have a great week. Happy Canada Day weekend to all our Canadian friends and uh, to all our American friends with the 4th of July just a couple of days away here. You know, Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. And for Formula One fans in general, have a great week we will be back on thursday night or thursday morning i guess we changed our schedule anyways we'll be back in a couple of days until then have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon bye for now